podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Walk Pod. Good to have you all along with us. I'm Ollie Kay and I'm joined by my co-host Ian. How are you getting on tonight, Ian? I'm good, mate. You? I'm doing very, very well. And with us as always is producer Matt. How are you getting on tonight, Matt? Yeah, I'm doing, doing pretty well, thanks, Ollie. It was good to see you at the football last game. I'm looking forward to the next game as well. Oh, yeah. Home comforts, home comforts, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But for now, let's jump straight in and have a look back at the Fulham game, as well as all the other news around Kenilworth Road this past week. In our news segment, I heard it through Rowan's Grapevine. So the the Fulham game was an interesting one because it's... It's a game that a lot of the fans felt that we really should have got something out of. And we, we digested it in the post-match phone-in. But looking at it, on the face of it, when you actually interrogate a bit deeper, and having watched the extended highlights back twice, I am of the opinion now, and Ian, call me crazy if you think I'm wrong, we could have won that game. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. Not on this occasion, anyway. Normally I do. It was definitely a game we could have won. We obviously had some clear-cut chances and decisions not going our way yet again. Is it something we're going to have to get used to? <laughs> you know, we've got to take our chances, I guess. You could look at it two ways. On a, on another day, we take these chances and we win the game, I think. Especially how solid we looked at the back. Fulham didn't look like they were going to score. Um, they weren't carving up m- many opportunities. Um, and we looked relatively solid. So it's just a mis- misfortunate error, um, really, that, that kind of gifted them the goal. And um, no, yeah, I agree. Um, we could have could have taken three points, and we I, I think we certainly deserved one at the very least. Well, very much so. Let's fast forward to May and potentially the West Ham game and the Fulham game. That That is potentially two points, or if we had had our shooting boots, well, because Fulham actually never looked like they were going to score. So let's just call it a draw. That is potentially two points, two vital points that could have could help us stay up come May. But let's look at the numbers. Only six of Fulham's 13 shots were from inside the box, whereas seven out of our seven shots were inside the box. Wouldn't you just be happy if someone in our team would just let fly from outside the box? I was I was discussing this off air with Matt actually, um, and I said basically what I said in the previous pod was we just need to loosen up a bit and and get rid of that nervousness. I said that we needed to use the opportunity in the international break to be able to do that because you can see the progress on the pitch. We're improving game by game in 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 all areas really, um, apart from we seem very rigid, and that's possibly why we aren't getting the rub of the green in front of goal and. 
when you look at the players at the end of the game against Fulham uh, and they're clapping us in the stands, they they look nervous. They look, you know, like they need a little bit of a lift. And I think that will really, really help them when we need to take our chances. We just need to be a bit looser, um, you know, like we were last season. You know, have that little bit of gumption about us in terms of how we go about the game and that little bit of cocky cockiness we had in the championship we want that back on that little bit of spice back i think and that would have helped us once we've got some points on the board i'm sure that will come but there's just a lot of nervous tension at the moment and i think that doesn't help there very much is uh matt and myself were actually sitting in the fourth or fifth row and you could see each one of the players faces and also luton released the the video of the players coming over to clap us they all did look on the verge of tears like they've let us down or something or maybe it's just emotional that the fans are backing them so heavily even after a, a tight loss they they did look that way and and they shouldn't feel that way if any of the players listen they probably don't um they shouldn't feel that way you know we know in the luton fan base we have got a a section that can be fickle sometimes and and do look for a fall guy in games like that but they can see the progress that's being made we can see how much effort's going in and we can see light at the end of the tunnel for me um and that's why the 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 support is so ferocious and the little pockets of different fan bases that come out and said oh i can't believe they're clapping after another loss that's exactly what Luton Town is about. That's what what every fan base should be like. Um, that's why you go to support your team. You don't just support them when you're winning. We we pulled apart our team more than we do now in games that we won last season than we have this season. So, it's, you know, we, we're behind the team and there's no reason to feel down. Um, we just need to get rid of that nervous energy and just shake off the shackles a little bit and I, I think we'll be okay. The whole clapping shtick is sort of a remnant of the John Still era from when the Barney happened between the crowd and Ronnie Henry. It's something where John Still asked of the, the crowd, get behind the team, show, show them that you love them, show them that they're your team. And I'm glad it's sort of stuck around. And yeah, to pretty much the entire Premier League supporting fan base. It is an alien concept. Like, what, what are you doing clapping them after a loss? You absolute lunatics. Absolutely, yeah. That that was, I, I think, was the ma- the biggest factor of of John Still's tenure is turning around that that toxic culture we had at the club. That if we weren't winning in the first twenty minutes of a game in the conference, then we we kind of turn on the team. And the opposition teams knew that, and that's part part and parcel of why we were there for so long, really. And when we turn that that culture around. You know, the huddles in the middle, inviting the fan back onto the pitch and into the club for a chat, all that. And we haven't looked really back since, yeah, we've had some odd splatterings of of discontent and stuff like that. But on the whole, we've been a very solid fan base and got behind the team. And, you know, I don't think that'll ever change now. That was single-handedly the the biggest thing to to turn us around after the 30 points and being in the conference. It was massive, massive for us and a big factor of why we went up the league so fast. It's also something that, most of the fan bases just simply won't understand because as Gary Sweet has said in the past, like if you want to be in our shoes or get deducted 30 points and spend five years in the non-league, then you'll know what we're about. But I'm going to run through some of the, the key numbers that took my eye from the Fulham match. According to FotMob, we had three big chances compared to two of Fulham's big chances. So we just have to put those away. Kaminsky only had one save to make 
compared to Burnt Leno making two. Defensively, we were absolutely sublime against Fulham with 11 interceptions, 6 blocks and 17 clearances. Amazingly, only one offside for Luton Town. The number of offsides we uh, get hasn't massively dropped since Harry Cornick left the club. And the most interesting stat for me was 1.10 XG for Luton compared to Fulham's 0.96 XG. But 0.35 of their XG came from set plays, whereas we generated exactly 0.00 XG from set pieces. So perhaps it's time to get Giles back in the starting lineup. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, on the space of a night, um, I think it was Joel that was speaking about rotating the squad constantly and using the squad and, and reacting instead of sticking with the same one. But I don't know if he's doing that. I think he's picking a team based on the opposition, really, and who and how he thinks we can affect the game. So I think Giles will come in when when suited, I think. But, you know, like, again, like was said on the space, Giles is is top in that area of the pitch for chances created. So we were kind of missing that. But I think we, we kind of got the, the, the tactics right on Saturday. Um, it showed in the game plan. And I think you alluded to it. We should have made changes earlier. You alluded to it in the space, rather. We should have made changes earlier. But other than that, I think we got the tactics right. Do you think that Giles should come straight back in? Or I'm a big fan of Giles. Uh, look, look at how badly well, Middlesbrough uh, is struggling without him. Yeah, I think we're both a big fan, but if you look at it objectively, do you think that he he starts every game no matter what? Well, I think yes, providing there is someone playing behind him. If we were going to play with two wide men, I feel he could fit into the the left winger position. I think he'd be really good there, where the onus isn't on him to be going back, only to be going forward with the ball. Because no one in our club has the delivery that he has and the numbers I, I i think i rattled them off in the space there are only two players that have sent in more crosses from open play than ryan giles has and that's pedro neto and luca dean and they are two prolific crosses of the balls so i think that's sensational if we have that type of weapon in our arsenal we better use it because we have two big boys who feed off crosses into the box yeah I think where I'm sat with it, I, I still sit in the camp of set up according to the opposition. But I do think that you know he could be worked into games a little bit more if he is if he is on the bench, but at certain periods of the game. But I don't know. I trust the process, I guess, with um, Rob Edwards and and see how it rides out. But I was I was impressed with the setup on on Saturday. I, I wasn't upset that Giles was not on the pitch. I think we did really really well. So depends how you look at it, really. We we did indeed do very well, and looking at the game, we counted well when we had the chance. Um, there was a good chance at the beginning where Lakonga slipped Chong through from from a full and free kick that we counted. Chong uh, went on one of those great runs that we saw at the Kenny when he played for Birmingham. Had a decent chance near post, saved by Leno. Morris came close after an advantage was played after Zhao Paulina absolutely polaxed Lakonga. Chong picks the ball gets it to Morris, sprays out to Kabore, a good cross comes in, and some work in the box sees Morris completely three, which um, he then puts that wide the post. I think he snatched that chance. We discussed that in the space. Lokonga and Marv, they win the ball in the middle. 
double team action. It was fantastic. Chong picks up the loose ball, plays it to Kabore. Kabore whips into Jacob Brown, heads it off the post. Then at the end of the half, Diop fouls Brown on a breakaway. And this is a major talking point. From the resulting free kick, Morris is wrestled down to the ground by Harrison Reed. How has VAR not looked at that? I don't know. I don't know what VAR's doing. I think it, so I think it was Joel again said in the space, have we turned it on yet? It's, it's absolutely mad that it, that hasn't been picked up. He literally rams his shoulder into the in, into his waist and takes he wasn't him looking down. at the ball. No, no, he wasn't. And and then you know, I mean, I'm not saying Morris would have got on the ball, but he would have been a lot closer to it. You can't fathom it, can you? And there's the the talk of whether it's it's bias against teams like Luton Town or or lower end clubs in the Premier League or not, or whether it's it's just shit refereeing. It's just mad. It's mad. I'm starting to believe there's a conspiracy between the refs, the media, and the Premier League. But I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not going to get know. into that sort of Joe Rogan-esque uh, conspiracy area. But it's certainly looking that way. I don't know if I buy into that. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy into that. But um, it's 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 almost like there's just a subconscious bias against us that it doesn't really matter if we get decisions if something goes doesn't go our way so what it's just looting that's how I feel about it it's not like it's a conscious thing for them to do it's just if that was Man City they'd be like shit this is going to get scrutinized all weekend we need to have another look at that where it's looting town who gives a fuck you know no one cares do they so and I think that's that's where it's at Oh, very much so. And to be fair, in the first half, we had all the chances. We even had that penalty shot that we just discussed. Other than Fulham's free kicks around the edge of the box, which they kept getting because they they were tripping over blades of grass. I have no idea what they were doing. All their chances were from distance. Second half, again, we started better. Uh, That bell chance that we, we also discussed at length. What could have been had he put it anywhere else other than burnt Leno? But Fulham didn't really bother us until Raul Jimenez put the ball over from a dead ball. In the build-up to the Fulham goal, Diop fires the ball into Awobi, who, again, I don't know where VAR was when it was checking this goal. He controlled the ball with his hand, and having watched the Burnley game against Nottingham Forest, where Burnley's goal was disallowed because the ball brushed Sander Berger's arm, how has VAR not picked up the ball being controlled by Alex Awobi. He controlled it with his hand, and then the ball gets worked out to Willian, who puts in a cross. Kaminsky spills it right in front of Carlos Viniscus. I just don't get it. What VAR's playing at? We're, this is going to become like a dead donkey that we're flogging every week about VAR, because it is just preposterous. Yeah, I mean, part of me feels like, is it just us getting used to the used to far now and it being really shit and we've heard people moan about it in the past but not really cared because it's not about us but then you look at other decisions and you think fucking hell like how how is this happening how are they getting decisions and where not and like i alluded to earlier you know i think it's it's just a case of they don't really care because it's us what has he what has he got what have we got to have happen for us to be able to get that penalty has he got to catch it do you know what I mean, how how blatant does it need to be in both situations, in the West Ham and the Fulham game? It's 
both were penalties. Not in any of the media, they they don't pick it up. They don't care. Match of the day, don't care. Uh, you know, it, but if it, again, if it was Man City, Man United, and that had happened, ah, oh, well, that could have cost them the title. This, that, and the other. Da, 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 da. How can these mistakes get in happen? They would have dissected it for at least five minutes. They would have been dissecting well, it for about five hours, con- on consecutive days. Well, exactly. Uh, but that's where we're at. Look, and we we. We kind of have to roll with the punches, I guess. We have to take it on the chin. And we're in this situation where that's going to happen, I think, now. And I, and I think that's the message that Rob will be saying to the players is that, look, we've got to do it our way. We've got to win the game. We should have taken our chances. That's the, that's the end of the story. We can't rely on, on VAR. We can't rely on referees because that's the situation. It's consistently the situation. It's not just, you know, one situation. It's happening all the time. So we've we've just got to, you know, do it ourselves, I guess, and uh, and get on with it. But yeah, we simply can't rely on the referees. But after the goal, Fulham came alive with a flurry of chances. But we could have grabbed something in the closing stages when another peach of a ball from Kabore, who was absolutely sensational, and he sent that ball in. Tom Lockyer measured up a free header, got it wrong, didn't trouble Leno. But overall. As we discussed, there's a lot here to show that we will be absolutely fine. Furthermore, I've done some digging and I just want to state that Luton Town are notoriously slow starters in leagues. Looking at our first five games from the last five seasons in the 22-23 season, we got five points from our first five games. We finished third and we were promoted through the playoffs. 21-22 season, seven points from our first five games, and this included the 5-0 drubbing against Birmingham. We, of course, finished sixth and lost in the playoff semi-final to Huddersfield. 2021 season, nine points from our first five games. We finished 12th in the championship. Then our first season back in the championship, the 1920 season, four points from our first five games. Obviously a big step up, and we finished the season 19th in the championship and that was a step up from league one however in the 1819 season when we stormed the league finishing champions ahead of barnsley and going on beaten from october to april we got seven points from our first five games so there you have it we are notoriously slow starters yeah and those stats that you were saying there you know they're over the seasons that we've shot up the leagues you know um we've had to adjust to new leagues all the time um which we have done really really well championship took a few seasons but we got there and we we ended up going higher places every season and same story here you know we've got to we've had to adjust to a new league burnley sheffield united wolves all been in this premier league in the premier league over the last few seasons um they know the league well they've been in it they've done okay in it as well you know, we're back in the Premier League for the first time since 1992. Um, and it's a massive jump. It is a big jump. The Championship was a big jump from League One, but we adapted over time, you know, and we were always going to have a slow start. But it does not mean that this season is written off, because I don't think it is. We've seen adjustments in the first four games. If you look at Brighton to Fulham, there's clear, clear progress there. Very much so. But moving on to other news, Garth Crooks strikes again. What a prick. He talks about our fine players from the 80s, 
ignores the last three decades, and then says in his statement that has been all over Luton Twitter, my problem with the current regime is that I see a club in the Premier League with no serious intentions of staying there. To survive in the toughest and most successful league in the world requires significant investment in player recruitment and infrastructure. I look at Kenilworth Road and Luton Town's summer signings, and it's clear there has only been the bare minimum. I've been very vocal, and I've written an article on BBC Sports. Check it out. And I appeared on the BBC Football News Show. I've, I've done enough about it. But Ian, the floor is yours. You can talk about this ignorant prick now. I'll, I'll start off by saying I'm really not asked about him. I, I really aren't. I couldn't give a fuck what he says, to be honest. His opinions are irrelevant. He's more suited to talk sport than BBC Sport, if I'm honest. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to stay relevant. Um, he's talking absolute poppycock. What a knobhead. I mean, it's it's just bullshit, isn't it? There's no research from him. He's speaking about players from the 80s. It just doesn't mean anything. I, I understand why people are so annoyed. I knew you you took him apart really, really well on the um, the Football League show in his hypocrisy in his statements over his over the time over last season with Forrest and Luton. He's just leading a charge of, of the media against Luton Town. All it will do is put fire in the belly of Luton Town supporters and the football club. But on the whole, to be honest, when I look at it, I'm really not asked. His his, his opinions are relevant. There's there's not many journalists out there now that actually would be disappointed if they said that now. Like I said, he's more suited to talk sport than than BBC Sport, to be honest. Well, someone said to me that they wouldn't have been surprised if his article and that statement was entirely written by Chat GTP because it certainly looks like that. But in my, in my opinion, the last thing I'm going to say about this, the best thing for Garth to have done, uh, because this was cut from my BBC interview, the best thing for him to have done when he was invited, either politely decline or walk away and ignore it and not go any further. It was ridiculous. Uh, I just feel it's a way for social media and the BBC to claw more engagement but let's not give him any more airtime than we really need to. In other news, Luton Town have released their third kit and a club statement says, the long-awaited third shirt is here and it's a hat tip to Kenilworth Road. To some, it's the Kenny. To others, the old girl. To most, it's Kenilworth Road, a sanctuary, a place of worship, a second home. And our navy and pink shirt, inspired by our first ever colours and tailored by Umbro, will make its debut at Exeter next Tuesday. It bears the aerial outline of Kenilworth Road from above. Forget the memes. Forget the online hate. She's ours to love and appreciate. Now, I think the outline's a bit strange I on liked it. it. <laughs> you liked it. <laughs> I like it. I like the shirt. I like that they understand what Kenilworth Road and the history of our old colours mean to us and it's part of our history could the design have been handled with a little bit more care? Yes Is it okay? Yes Am I going to rush out and buy it? Yes (laughs) But just because it's a Luton shirt, not because it's an outstanding shirt, I hate to be harsh, um, but it's okay 
it's better than the 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 last. I know, I know you've got this, Ollie. So sorry if I'm I'm ripping your wardrobe to shreds. But the the old uh, checkered one with the pink and the that is my that, wife's that favorite purple. shirt. She loves it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's okay. Again, it's okay. But we've, we, I think this this season shirts. I like I, I like them, but I'm not you know astounded by them. I love our, our 90s and 80s kids. You know. The uh, the checker shirt, whenever I pull that on, I immediately think of Izzy Brown and all the good times we had with him that season. I don't know why they didn't go for a fully aerial view, like from top down. Instead, they've gone from a weird angle, so all the outlines of the roads sort of collide with each other. They're not parallel. They sort of are at an angle. But that's just me being picky. It's not the shirt I'm going to buy this season. There's so many ways they could have done it better and taken inspiration from other club shirts that have done something similar with streets and grounds. I think AIK, Sweden, they've done something similar with the outlines of areas and stuff. There's been lots of examples over the last few years of something similar being done in such a better better fashion. And if they had taken their time, which they have, uh, (laughs) to get the third shirt out, they would have sold bucket loads of them, you know, because obviously the hype around Kenilworth Road at the moment and obviously moving in the next couple of years. So there could have been a little bit more thought, but how, how much were their hands tied with, with Umbro? I don't know, but um, we could have got a better shirt out of it, to be honest. So someone pointed out on the Discord earlier that they should have just stuck the Kenny on it, like uh, that 90s Man United kit that has Old Trafford on it. That would have sold like gangbusters. Everyone wants a bit of the Kenny. That was all the news from around Kenilworth Road this week. Now it's time for Discord and Telegram questions. Cheers, Ollie. Uh, We've had a lot of questions this week, so we've uh, had to nitpick which ones we're getting. So we've got some good ones coming. So the first question was from the Tsar on Discord. They said... Neto is Wolves' standout player. Does Rob Edwards need to sacrifice Kabore's attacking threat and play Doughty on the right Saturday to handle Neto and then maybe play Giles on the left? What's your thoughts, Ian? Potentially. That's an option, but I actually think we stick with a similar tactic to what we did on Saturday. I don't think we change it. Okay, and Ollie? No, I completely agree. Uh, Although Rob Edwards has said in press conferences that he's going to cater the lineup and the formation and the tactics to each team. I have a feeling he's really not going to change much other than the, the starting 11. And even then, it's not going to change too much. Okay, the next question was also from the Sar on Discord. They said, who starts up front? Harsh and Brown, but Morrison had a bio for them. How about you, Ollie? So I thought Morris actually was carrying a bit of an injury. He looked like he was blowing, he was stretching his, his hamstrings. I would quite like to see Brown start again because he was a threat. He created chances. He runs a lot. But Ogbene was also so lively when he came on. So was Elijah Adebayo. He probably didn't respond well to being dropped. I guess for the hold-up factor, I would start Brown and Adebayo against Wolves. Yeah, really quick uh, point to note. I thought the same thing about Morris, especially when he got subbed off. He walked straight out to the changing room so maybe there is something there that we're not aware of uh ian what's your thoughts same as ollie really apart from if if it was just a little niggle for morris uh 
then actually I would play Adebayo and Morris up top if if Morris is fine. If not, probably go with uh, Adebayo and, and Brown. And going with Adebayo and Brown isn't a reflection on Brown's performance because it was, it was very good. I just think um, for Wolves, I think that's probably the right option. Okay, the next question was from Artery on Discord. They said, do you think people being on Kaminsky's back is unfair? Ian? Yeah, absolutely absurd. Yeah, he's made a couple of mistakes here and there, but he's been solid, actually. Um, and again, you know, he's one that's adjusting. You know, he's not played Premier League football before. He'd just come back from Belgium as well. I know he's sat on the bench, but um, he's just been no way on international duty. I think he's been solid for us, and he'll continue to grow and be solid for us, I think. Okay, a real, being... real quick add-on to that. Do you think Krull should start after him? No, absolutely not. I said on the space, nope, no, Kaminsky for me. Cool. Ollie. I'm Kaminsky all the way. Sure, he's made two big errors that have led to two goals, but the Bowen one, it was fired directly at him. If he got a bit more behind the punch, he could have turned it around the post. The pushing the ball out from the Willian cross that led to the goal, that was a bit more unforgivable, but no one is getting on Kaminsky's back more than Thomas Kaminsky is right now. I can assure you that. Okay, next question was from Gypsy King 5000 on Discord. They said, what games do we realistically look at for points? How many will we need to have a chance for survival? Ollie? I think 38 points is probably the magic number. We need to focus on the teams that are going to be in and around us. So your Everton, your Burnleys, your Sheffield Uniteds, Fulham, we should have taken points off. Wolves too. Generally, all the teams that will be finishing 13th and down. Okay, and Ian? Yeah, similar to Ollie, really. Um, but, you know, one game at a time, though. I think between 36 and 38 points, that's kind of got to be the target. Um, but we've got to get at least a point on the board first. And I think once we do that, I think we'll we'll start to gather some momentum. But um, there's plenty of points out there to be gained. You know, and I think, again, Joel said on the space, there will be some big scalps this season. Okay, the next question was from Chris Neville on Telegram. They said, please discuss Tahid Chong. They said, I feel he doesn't do the defensive work well enough. Always standing off and jogging around. I'd forgive them if he was providing an attack and returns, but he's not doing that either. Is Chong too luxury? Ian? Again, I think he's another grower that's not showing it exactly at the minute, but He's done really, really well in most of the games he's in, but he does lack a little bit. And I don't think defensively it's his bat. Um, he gets his movement forward relatively well. Again, he's coming into a new team. He's got to grow um, and a new league as well. But I think it'll be fine. I'd, again, I'd, I think the criticism there is a bit unfair. And Ollie? Well, I think if Chong trimmed that barnet, maybe he'd be a bit more of a shower than a grower. I'm a I'm a big fan of Chong. I feel he gives us something that no one else in the team gives us in the middle of the park, and that is progression with the ball. The way he runs, just that chance he had against Fulham, where he picked up the ball in midfield, he just runs in a straight line, and no one can stop him. Sure, the end product can be better, but in our team... You show me someone whose end product isn't already perfect. They all need to improve their end product. And he will get there. He's still young. People forget he's been around for ages, but he's still so young. I wouldn't say he's too luxury. 
He just needs to get his feet under the table like the rest of the team in this division. Okay, and the last question was from Alex from Telegram. They said, 22% possession last game. Are we setting ourselves up for failure with not wanting more of the ball? Ian? No, of course not. Don't look at the percentage stats. Look at the way the game went. Um, We can look at stats to a a blue in the face, but look at how the, the game actually went. I think sometimes if you're more setting yourself up to failure, if you try to gain too much of the game because we know our quality lacks compared to a lot of teams in this division and we've got to be a bit more streetwise with the the, the game plan um, and, and I think the game plan went really really well you know we look at the championship for instance when we were there you know our, our possession stats weren't great at all um, I think I can count on a couple of fingers how many times we had over 50% in a game so uh, it doesn't matter. Um, it's how you manage the game for me. And Ollie? Yeah, I don't care if the other team has 99% of the ball, providing it's predominantly all played in front of 10 of our players. So that's not how we play with possession. And in the Premier League, if we do have the ball, we're not the only team that likes to press. You try and take more of the ball against Liverpool, they're going to nick the ball off you and punish you every single time. It's sort of like how a Russell Martin team plays. They concede a hell of a lot of goals because they like the ball, and then the other team will just take the ball off them and score. So, no, we are not setting ourselves up for failure, for not wanting the ball. The other team can have the ball. But great questions as always. Thank you, everyone, for submitting them, and thank you, Matt, for asking them. We'll see you again later. Now let's talk about some of the monthly giveaways from our sponsors. Beard Surgeon Beard Oil comes in a set with a wide selection of scented oils and moisturizers that you use together. Unlike other beard oil companies, Beard Surgeon used cannabis sativa seed oil as a key ingredient, which supports the skin barrier, strengthens your hair follicles, keeps inflammation at bay, and minimizes breakouts on your skin. It also makes your beard feel and smell excellent. We have a beard oil set to give away this month, which you can check out on our socials. You can also get 15% off on your purchase of Beard Surgeon Oils through their website using the code WALKED15. We have also teamed up with Blackstar Amplification. And as our audio partner, we are giving away a Bluetooth Fly 3 amp every month of the season. These Fly 3s sound great. They are also lightweight. They connect to anything from phones to guitars. So even if you're not a musician, you have a boombox wherever you go. Keep an eye on our socials as we have a lot of giveaways going on throughout the month. But Ian, why is this podcast different from all other podcasts? I don't know, Ollie. Why is this podcast so different to all other podcasts? Because there's a joke in here. Okay, I've got a feeling Ian's going to like this one because I think he's going to relate to it, I'll be honest. A drunk guy is sitting in a bar by himself one night and he throws up all over the front of his shirt. Oh, great. My wife's going to kill me, he mumbles to himself. The guy sitting next to him sees what happened and leans over. Hey, buddy, just put 20 quid in your shirt pocket. When you get home, tell the wife the guy sitting next to you threw up on you and gave you 20 quid to get your shirt cleaned. Completely inebriated, the drunk man thanks his new friend and puts 20 quid in his shirt pocket and heads home. As soon as he walks through the front door, his wife becomes irate and starts yelling at him. 
Where have you been? You're completely drunk. You're a mess. Look at yourself. You pooped all over the front of your shirt. Completely wasted and slurring his words, explains to his wife. No, no, the guy sitting next to me threw up on my shirt and gave me 20 quid to get it cleaned. Look, it's right here in my shirt pocket. The wife reaches into his pocket, pulls out the money. There's 40 quid in here. Oh, yeah, he shit my pants too. <laughs> That's a decent one. Yeah, I've, uh, uh, as soon I can as you said, relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as soon as you said, he threw up all over his shirt. I've heard that joke so many times, but I was crapping myself throughout. I had to mute. That was fantastic. Ten out of ten. Eight. Uh, 8.4. 0.4. Were you judging him on diving into a swimming pool? That's a high score. Oh, is it? Is it really? Thanks, Matt. That was a top joke. Now let's look ahead to our next fixture against Wolves. I just have one question for both of you on this. Let's start with Matt. Is this game against Wolves a must win now? I don't want to draw here. I'm I'm done with losing don't care about one point. I want all three points from this game. Come hell, hell or high water, I want us to get the victory. No questions asked. And you, Ian? I, I don't buy into this whole must-win Palaki because, you know, we will beat, like I said earlier, one of the bigger teams that we don't expect to be. You know, these things will happen. And we're too early on in the season for must-win games. So, um, no, I don't think so. Um, but I would like to, obviously. I think points on the board at this stage of the season is important. We need three points from this game. I'm sure all the players believe that too, and it's essential, really. We also have the Exeter Cup fixture coming up. Now, I just have one more question for both of you. Do we really care about a cup run in the Carabao? I think this is a, a tough one, I'll be honest. It would be nice to get a couple of rounds further, I think. Just, you know, a bit more promotion for the team. I'm going to say no. And Ian, do we need a cup run? Yeah, yeah. I think it helps if we can have a little run in it. It'll build team morale and a bit of momentum um, and shake some of the cobwebs of the losses off, I think. So um, I think it will help us psychologically. If we if we win a few games, so and you know it's Carabao Cup. Who doesn't like a little bit of a run? We need to as well. We've we've flunked so badly in in this cup over the last few years. Um, so it'd be nice, yeah, it'd be nice. Personally, I prefer a cup run in the FA Cup. I don't really care about the Carabao in the slightest. Although it does give the fringe players a bit more of a run out. However. We will never do score predictions on this pod because we are very superstitious. So let's wrap up this pod with a game of Hatter or Lower. This week on Hatter or Lower, we are joined by yet another very special guest, radio presenter on the BBC Asian Network and host of the BBC documentary, Luton Town, No Place Like Home. A welcome to the pod, Anchor Desai. How are you getting on, Anchor? I'm well, I'm well. How are you, Ollie? 
I'm doing very well today. I'm a bit infuriated by Garth Crooks's comments. And, you know, we've had a little chat about that on the podcast. Um, so a little bit about what's he you, had to Anchor. say? What's he had to say? Oh, God, what's he had to say? What hasn't he said? He's been slamming the, the ownership of the club saying we are not spending enough money. He's full of nonsense. He's just a big old. See, this, bag. this is this is this is this is. And, and the interesting thing for me is, you know, when people don't have a great deal of knowledge about a situation, then then, then don't comment at all. It, it's Sometimes it's better just not to say too much because it's almost like, hang on, how can you criticise an ownership model which has got Luton into the Premier League considering they were a non-league team, what, just over a decade ago? So, honestly. Well, exactly that. And uh, after his initial comments where he said Luton Town will be down by Christmas, he came ahead and said... Um, well, Rob Edwards invited him into the club and said, come, come in and, and see what we're about. And you know what he did? He's written mm. a whole blog on the BBC, uh, essentially slamming the ownership model. And if you have nothing nice to say, just don't say it. Just don't say it, Garth. I don't know what he's thinking about. Yeah. I, and also, I, I think as well, sometimes parody accounts are quite funny as well but when they're when they're actually real life parody accounts then it, it's hard to take them seriously also if you just look at the opposition looting a face in the first few games of the season i'm sorry but but what what what, what do you think was actually going to happen and the fact is that Luton have actually competed in those games and actually lost not he- heavily i don't think in, in the chelsea game maybe you could say they gave a few goals away in the end but it is chelsea and all their riches at the end of the day they, they've played well in, in patches and, and I think that the next one of fixtures that Luton will have I think fills fans and the club with optimism as well that there, there are points there to be won oh very much so although I do feel a lot of the fans were expecting to get a point out of Fulham at least but I want to yeah. I want to talk about you mate what was your experience yes, growing mate. up in Luton <laughs> So, so I grew up um, a stone's throw away from Kenilworth Road. So um, Warwick Road East is where I first moved into when I moved to Luton as a young boy. Um, so it was literally a 90-second walk away from the football stadium. But back then, I, as a British-Asian boy, from my parents, I wasn't massively encouraged to follow football. Um, it was more cricket. Um, also, there was sort of the fallout from the era where English fans, English football fans around the country were always criticised for their behaviour. So my parents were worried about hooliganism and and, and some of the, um, and I guess some of the reputation that football fans had through the 80s. And then as I started following football in the 90s, it wasn't something that was massively encouraged to, to, to follow. So it almost became an extension of who I am because of my friends, because they're all big Luton Town fans, their parents used to take them. And so naturally I'd end up going to watch some matches with them. And that's how my association with the, the club started. But when I was in Bury Park, it wasn't really anything I would, I, I would not really immerse myself in. And then I moved to another part of Luton where a lot of my friends were Luton Town fans. And, and that's how I started learning more about the club and then started to go to watch more matches because obviously had friends and and family members to go with that that's amazing and uh, it's great hearing everyone's individual journeys about how they they came to follow the town having been engrossed in the local community how do you think promotion to the premier league has changed and will likely change things for the local community 
So I, I think immediately that there's going to be a positive impact and arguably already has been. In the documentary, um, we, we talk to people who, who live in the local area and who are, who've been immersed in the local area around Kenilworth Road for so many years in Bury Park. And they've already started seeing a positivity, which is emanating from the, the club's promotion, but also you're starting to see it drip through. So a lot of businesses are optimistic that it's going to bring more trade to the area. A lot of people are also saying that there's a lot more of a, a community spirit, which has always been there for the last 10 to 15 years, but it's even more so now because people are just seeing the wonderful colors and textures of the, the community around Luton Town as well, which people hadn't really felt existed for so many years because when I was growing up in Luton, people talked about the fact that, hang on, this is a town which has been voted one of the worst places to live in England, has been tarnished with claims of extremism and racial division. What we explore in the documentary is that the club and the community have worked so hard together to, to, to make sure that that isn't the reputation of current Luton. And that's been reflected brilliantly through the through the football club and through the players and the community as well. Well, that, that's fantastic. And uh, moving on to your documentary that you've released, Luton Town, No Place Like Home. How was it producing that? It was, it was that brilliant. Uh, so that was it. I, I think picking up on that point, I, I wanted to show that Luton actually growing up there was a place where we are all growing up with this underdog spirit built in our DNA. And despite all the challenges people from Luton have faced over the years and some of the negative headlines, I think that has very much changed. And we wanted to reflect the positivity of a town where people are ambitious, they're aspirational. And despite often the odds being stacked against an area like Luton and the club itself, there are people there who have so much positivity and strength in them that they want to they want to see change. They want to see positive change as well. So all the claims of division of racism, extremism has, has been eradicated. And now you're seeing a, a harmonious spirit within the town, within the community, which has been reflected with the club because the club have fought so hard to get to the Premier League. And, and people talk about all these Hollywood stories of Wrexham. I'm sorry, but there is no other story like Luton Town where a club was relegated into non-league football. They were fined incredible amounts of money by the Football Association. And yet, despite everything, and despite the structures of modern day football with, with all these big state-owned clubs getting to the Premier League and, and being funded by oligarchs and billionaires, a club like Luton can, can, can somehow get to the promised land of the top flight again is an incredible story. And, and with the people who are involved in the club and the local community, people from so many different faiths and backgrounds, we explore that as well within this documentary where, where people from the Muslim community in Luton have come together to work with the football club. Uh, we've seen people from different areas of Luton all start to show that there is a spirit there which is quite rare and intangible within football these days, which is, which is run by so many, I don't know, people who often say that football is a soulless place. I think Luton has shown that their heart is well and truly beating loud and proud. Well, you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. And I'm, I'm going to have to tune in and watch this now because uh, I'm sorry to say I haven't yet watched it, but I will. I will indeed. No, please do. Please do. It's on the uh, BBC Sounds app. There are four 15-minute episodes where you can digest it all in one go as well. And it's just great to hear from people associated with the club, not associated with the club, but just proud of the football club and, and the town itself. Oh, that's sensational. I've got to ask, who is your favourite player of all time? Easy, easy, easy answer to this one. It has to be Super Mick, Super Mick Harford. He was someone who, when we were growing up, was the talismanic figure. And he's been that man ever since he's gone into retirement, whether it was stepping in as a coach, whether it's stepping in literally as if, if you need a groundsman, you know, he'll be the first person there. If, if there's a flood on the pitch, you know that Super Mickey Harford will be there because he is a man who 
is Luton Town through and through. And growing up, I remember I used to play football just outside my house in a in an area where there were some garages. And he was friends with one of our neighbours. So sometimes he'd pop in and we'd see him and we, we'd, we'd always, almost be a little bit too nervous. But he'd walk past us and he'd ask us to pass the ball with him. We'd have a kickabout with him. And we're like, hang on, this is Mick Harford having a kickabout with us. And um, it just goes to show that he, he was truly that man of the people. He was that emblematic figure that if you think of Luton Town, you think of Mick Harford. Uh, that is a great story. And when you mentioned the pitch being, if the pitch were to be flooded, now I just have the image in my head of Mick Harford coming along with a big straw. 100%. You know, he, he's there. He, he, he's been there through the tough times. He's been there now through the, the positivity as well. And he's had his own challenges, obviously, with his health. But the, the spirit of the man and what he reflects and resembles for a lot of people in the town is, is quite unique and yeah, yeah. I think for me, he's top tier. He, he's number one. And who is your current favourite player from the squad at the moment? Yeah, again, I, I know a lot of people will say, oh, this is probably everyone's favourite, but it has to be Pelly. Because what he's achieved with the club for the last decade, I mean, the first time I believe a footballer has come through from non-league football and played at every division with just one club, I mean, that that's unreal. I, I don't think... I don't think we'll see the like of it again. I know people talked about Jamie Vardy's brilliant story as well from from non-league into into professional and um, top-tier football. But I just I just think that with Pelly and what the club have gone through, for the loyalty and for the the levels that he's had to go up every season, um, is just sensational. So it has to be Pelly. Yeah, surprisingly, Pelly hasn't been a popular choice with the people that we brought on for Hatter or Lower. But for me, Pelly is the Why answer. Why not? I, I don't know. Everyone likes Colton Morris. They like the cut of his jib. He, he's like all action. He's super engrossed in the game. But for me, Pelly is just the man. He really is the man. Can, can, I mean, this is, this is the, the thing for me, right? He is someone who has been there throughout this journey. And that is rare. It's so unique. So, so for a player to have stuck with a club for that long and still perform at that level and, and for the club to show him that same love back uh, not, not being sold off or not not seek a move elsewhere I just, I just you don't see that sort of loyalty in, in, in professional football anymore no oh, 100% well anchor are you ready to play some hatter or lower yeah let's do it hatter or lower is powered by hatter's heritage a website that does the important job of preserving the history of our club they always need volunteers and you can check them out at hattersheritage.co.uk or get in touch by Googling Hatters Heritage. And that's exactly what I've done to get the names and appearance totals to 20 Hatters. Then I ask who played more, player A or player B? The contender then has to guess who made more appearances for the Hatters and try to get up as high up on our leaderboard as possible, which you can check out on our website. It's now time to play Hatter or Lower and this week's contender is Anchor Desai. How are the nerves, mate? Ollie, I am shaking like a leaf because I know that if any of my boys who I grew up with are listening to this, they're going to absolutely rip me for being terrible at this. But it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. It's a very tightly congested leaderboard at the moment, but I have faith. I think you'll do absolutely fine. And you selected the <laughs> 90s. Yeah, I selected the 90s because that that is the era I started watching football as a kid. And just some of the great players from that era just will remain long in the memory for me. So, yeah. Well, let's kick this off. Well, Who played more? Off. Kurt Nogan or Kurt. Lee Nogan? Kurt Nogan or Lee. Right. Let's go with Lee. Incorrect. <laughs> Kurt Nogan played 39 <laughs> times for Luton Town. <laughs> Lee Nogan played 11 times. 
Disappointing. It's a, it's, a, it's a bad start. It's a bad start. Who played more, Jürgen Sommer or Ian Foyer? Um, I think Ian Foyer. Correct. Jürgen Sommer played 101 Yay. times for Luton Town. Ian Foyer, 115. Well, there you go. I like Ian Foyer. Like both of, the they, they are both my era. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, both American goalkeepers too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just remember Ian Foyer and just some of the kits as well from back then. I remember they, they took over. The pair of them came in after Alec Chamberlain, I believe, that era. They did indeed. Uh, those kits were iconic. The pony kits, the bright green. Yeah, loved them. Next up, who played more? Boncho Genchev or Darren Patterson? Wow. Do you know what? Poncho Gwenchev, Bulgarian international, played at the World Cup, took a lot of penalties. I'm going to go with him. Correct. Poncho Gwenchev played 78 times for Luton Town. Darren Patterson, 69. He also had a sublime mullet. <laughs> he did, he did, he did. And I think he was part of that 94 World Cup team which got to the semi-finals with uh, Risto Stoichkov, I think. He was indeed. He's a firm favourite of my co-host Ian. <laughs> love him, love him. Who played more, Mitchell Thomas or Matthew Spring? Oof. That's a tough one. Matty Spring, central midfield, Mitchell Thomas, defender. Did Spring have another spell? He went to Sheffield Wednesday, then he came back again. I'm going to go with Matty Spring. Correct. Mitchell Thomas played 341 times for Luton Town. Matthew Spring... 357 he did indeed have two spells see i, I thought i knew a little bit about the club <laughs> <laughs> now you're doing great doing great who played more darren salton or steve claridge see claridge played at so many clubs that's why i'm tempted not to go with him but i do remember him being at the club for a while i'm tempted I'm going to go with Claridge, just because I know he played a lot of football, played for a lot of teams. I'm going to go with Claridge. I don't think it's right, though. Incorrect. Darren Salton played 24 yeah, times so. for Luton Town. Steve Claridge played 20 times. Steve Claridge did Only play 20. a lot of wow. football for Luton. Uh, he played a lot of football for a lot of football clubs, but he didn't play that much for Luton. Yeah. He didn't wow. really hit okay, it off. Uh, whereas Darren Salton, he was a very high... Highly thought of prospect, but unfortunately his career ended after a car crash. Ah, that's it. See, I remember that. And also it made me think that's why to go for Claridge, because even though Claridge wouldn't have played a lot for Luton, he would have played more than 20 games. Wow, okay, interesting. Next up, a heavyweight clash. Who played more, Scott Oakes or Graham Alexander? I'm going to go... With Graham Alexander. So Scott Yates scored some great goals on the way to Luton, getting to the semi-finals of the FA Cup in the early 90s. But Graham Alexander just played so many games for so many seasons. I know he played loads at Burnley. Fullback. But Scott Yates, I used to love the songs for Scott Yates. Uh, I'm going to go with Graham Alexander. Incorrect. Uh, Scott Oakes played 200 wow, times Scott for Luton more. Town. Yeah, 200 times. And Graham wow, Alexander played, played 183. Wow. 
So Scott Scott has played a lot more than I thought he would have. Interesting. Because I know he didn't... Did he get moved to someone like Sheffield Wednesday in the end? Uh, yes, he did. But he played a lot of football yes, for Luton did. before that. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested. Next up, who played more? Michael McIndo hmm. or Adam Locke? Michael McIndo, winger, left-footed, I remember. I'm going to go with Michael McIndo. Incorrect. Michael McIndo played 49 <laughs> times for Luton Town. Adam Locke, 74. Disaster. There's not a lot in it, is there, between some of these players? Oh, I've been quite generous here. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, who played more, Paul McLaren or John Dreyer? I'm going to go John Dreyer. John Dreyer was a stalwart at the club. Correct. Paul McLaren played 201 times for Luton Town. John Dreyer, 250. Wow. So he yeah, was quite a lot for Paul McLaren. Yeah, yeah, decent. Well then done did he there. not go to Leicester? Did he move to Leicester? Yeah. I can't actually remember where he went afterwards, but I know he's still mm. knocking about as a coach. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Next up, who played more, Hervé Bacquet or Johnny Vilstrup? Ooh, they're t- these are tough ones. Let's go with Vilstrup. Incorrect. Hervé Bacquet played 11 Pure times guess. for Luton Town. Johnny Vilstrup played nine times. There wasn't a lot in that one. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, I can't believe that 11 and nine. I've got I've got 50, 50, one in two chance, and I'm just getting my guesses all wrong. But the ones that I do know, I'm getting right, which is something. <laughs> Don't worry, there's still time here. Last question. Hmm. Who played more, Alec Chamberlain or Kelvin Davis? Oh, God. Oh, man, that's a, that's all. Hang on, are we talking about in the 90s as well? Like, because I'm thinking like Chamberlain would have played in the 80s as well, and I'm just trying to think, oh... Oh, that is a tough one. Kelvin Davis played a lot these from a young total, age, but then he got These are sold. total appearances for Luton Town. <laughs> yeah, total appearances, right? Gosh. Okay, it's going to be one of my guesses, which I'm going to get wrong. Alec Chamberlain, they went to Watford. This is a stinky, stinky question. I'm going to go with... Let me go with Kelvin Davis for better youth. <laughs> Probably got that wrong. Incorrect. Alec Chamberlain played 159 oh. times for Luton Town. Kelvin Davis, 107. He was sharing the 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 shirt with Ian Foyer at that time. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, that was probably the last time we started had like well two fantastic keepers. Yeah, you off. started off like all guns blazing, but it's all yeah. just sort of petered yeah, off, then didn't it? Fell it? away, fell away. Oh, no, well, I can't believe so you didn't bad. mention Tony Thorpe in all of that. Maybe, maybe, enough, maybe next time. Tony Thorpe. <laughs> maybe next time. Anchor, you got four out of ten, which is respectable, and Terrible. it gets you on our leaderboard. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, there you go. Got onto the leaderboard. Still disappointed. I should, I should have got five. Early. I should have at least got halfway, but yeah. Oh, well. Well, thank you very much, Anchor, for your time today. Well, that's us done for this week. You can listen back to our post-match phones across all podcast providers and our YouTube. Please check out our socials. We are Luton Town on Facebook. 
We are Luton Town on Twitter. The Walt Podcast on Twitter. We are also on TikTok, Instagram, Telegram, Discord, and Reddit. You can find all of these on our website, wearelutontown.co.uk. Follow across all socials to be involved in monthly giveaways, including Beard Surgeon Beard Oils, Black Star, Fly 3 Amps, and Luton Town Shirts. Thank you all for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.